0: Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. Well, good morning. Everybody doing well? I've been looking forward to being here for your GIC. Been looking forward to being in your church. There was a time yesterday, I didn't know if we were going to make it. I'm on a an eight-day trip that we left Friday morning, drove over to the Panhandle, and we got to uh, our flight yesterday morning, or, or yesterday at noon. We were supposed to leave at noon, and we found out there was a mechanical problem, so I told Pastor Russell, I, I'm a, I get kind of upset when a pilot don't show up or a flight attendant don't show up, but they tell me there's a mechanical problem. I'm willing to wait as long as it takes to get it fixed. But anyway, we, they got it fixed, and we, we, we left, and uh, on Delta... You you have, if you go anywhere on Delta, you have to go back through Atlanta, even though I was already in Florida. So we flew back to Atlanta and uh, changed planes, got ready to board our second plane. They, every, uh, well, we got held up in, in the panhill. When we got to Atlanta, we missed our connecting flight. So we had to go a flight a couple hours later. So we get to it and, uh, it's time to board, and they weren't boarding, they weren't boarding, they weren't boarding. Finally, about 30 minutes, they came on and said, we're not boarding because we're waiting on flight attendants to get here. So they finally got there, and we, uh, we, we made our way to Fort Myers, got here last night, later than what we had anticipated. And uh, then I unloaded my clothes last night to get ready this morning when I got ready to get ready this morning, I I realized I brought the wrong color shoes. So it's been an eventful two or three days. But I'm grateful we're here. Been looking forward to being with you. I told the early crowd, I've known Pastor Russell, as he said, for a long time. I told them, matter of fact, I've I've known him so long that my hair was the same color as his when I first met him. That's how long we've known each other. And uh, he's been a... He's been an absolute joy, uh, help to me. He says I've helped him, I don't know how I I did because when we were in meetings together, uh, Pastor Russell was kind of like E.F. Hutton speaking. You know what I mean? I mean, when E.F. Hutton says something, you listen. And when he shared with the group, we listened and usually saluted and we went and tried to do likewise. But I've been looking forward to being here. Matter of fact, I told the early crowd that I told Pastor Russell a long time ago, Pastor Russell, I've heard so much about your great church and your ministry there. I love that, the western uh, part of Florida. I'd love to come preach at your church sometime. I told him about several years ago. And every time he was kind, as he always is, he said, well, Brother Jim, maybe we'll do that someday, but you're just not ready. So I... I I said, "Well, I've always respected him. If he didn't feel like I was, I'm I'm okay with that." So I'd say, "Oh, fine, Pastor Russell." We'd talked several years later. We saw each other last year, and I said, uh, "Pastor Russell, I, I'm I'm available." He'd say, "Well, I, I've got this coming up. I got that coming up. I'm looking for a speaker." I said, "Well, what about me?" And he'd say, "Well, I I just need to dig you in. You're just not ready." So I said, "Okay." So when I heard you were having your GIC, I said, hey, Pastor Russell, I love missions. I really love missions. I'm, I'm all about missions. Have you got a speaker? And I said, if you don't, I want to come so bad that I'll come free and pay all my expenses. And he said, you're ready. So come on. So if you know Pastor Russell, you know that, that's the way he is. So he said I was ready, so I'm here. So it took me a, a lot to get here, but I'm grateful to be with you. I love Pastor Russell. I am a Floridian by birth. I grew up in Jacksonville, Florida, the first 36 years of my life, served on staff at a church there. And then in January of 1991, we moved to Atlanta, became Georgians then. And my, since my children and grandchildren are there now, my wife informed me we will not be moving back to Florida. And so she's uh, uh, kind of addicted to those grandbabies. So we, we, we're we having such a good time being grandparents that we have decided if we could do it all over again, we'd have grandchildren instead of children. We're having that much fun. so. Uh, Today I bring you greetings on behalf of our North American Mission Board, President Kevin Ezell, and our International Mission Board, President Paul Chipwood. I wanna say to the McGregor Baptist Church, thank you for your investment in us. We tell people at the North American Mission Board and the International Mission Board, we couldn't do what we do, nor do we wanna do what we do without you. Without churches like you, without pastors like Pastor uh, Russell, so thank you for all you do. We exist to plant churches, encourage existing churches and pastors, and share the good news of the gospel literally all over North America and the International Mission Board all around the world. You heard the scripture read a few moments ago, and none of us that belongs to the family of God is exempt from that mandate. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. I said, none of us who know the Lord that are part of the family of God are exempt from that mandate. Amen. amen. Now you're gonna learn one thing about me. The more you say amen, the shorter the message is. You sit there quiet, we may run into the 11 o'clock service, all right? Amen? I think you got it. All right, let's go. So you heard the mandate. Hey, in the original text, Matthew 28, 19 through 20 said, go ye therefore and teach and disciple and baptize. But in the original text, it was even stronger than that. It would say something like this. As you are going, baptize, disciple, when, baptize. So you see, there was an implication from the word of God that when we become a part of the family, we will go, we will disciple, we will teach, we will baptize. The intent of this mandate was this, you will go, it's a command from all of us. And I need to tell you this morning, we all can go and we all should be going if we wanna be a faithful, committed follower of Jesus Christ. Now I've heard all kinds of excuses from people through years saying, why we can't go and teach and disciple and baptize, why we can't go and share the gospel around the world or in our neighborhood. I've heard all kinds of excuses. Age, health, jobs, families, But I need to remind you, Matthew 28, 19, 20 is still in the Bible. And it's still a mandate for you and I. Let me suggest to you several ways that we at McGregor can and should be involved in missions here and around the world. Some of us need to be going more than we're going to be involved. Some of us here this morning need to be giving more and being more involved by our giving, and some of us need to be praying more for reaching the world for Christ and be involved at that level. And many of us can do all three. We can go, we can give, and we can pray. Now, do we all agree on everything that's been said so far? Amen. All right, good. That was a unanimous amen. Then I wanna jump right into the message because Pastor Russell told me that this service needed to be completed by noon, so I need to get started, okay? No, I'm just kidding. As a matter of fact, I, told the, I made a deal with the, with the early service. If you'll listen fast, I got a lot to say. I'll talk fast. And if you do your part and I do my part, I'll make you the same promise that Elizabeth Taylor made to her eighth husband when she said, I won't keep you long, all right? So you listen fast, I'll talk fast, and we'll, we'll uh, get through it. I wanna to talk to you for a few minutes today on this subject. Who will boldly go? That's the theme of your GIC. Who will boldly go? Who will boldly give? And who will boldly pray? Because in your church and my church, we need more people committed to do that. As a matter of fact, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you ought to be involved in one or all of those. Look with me quickly in the Gospel of John. Gospel of John chapter 1. I wanna read a text to you real quick. John chapter one, beginning in verse 35. We find this, this recorded. Again the next day John stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and seeing them, followed and said unto them, Whom do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to Simon, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. Verse 43. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to Philip, Follow me. Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael, that was his friend, and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said unto him, come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and he said of him, behold an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Lord, would you speak to us from the word of God? Would you challenge us this morning in the few minutes that we have together? In Jesus' name, amen. I wanna talk to you On the subject, who will boldly go? Now, I realize we're talking about mission thrust in your GIC locally and globally. And people ask me all the time, which one of those would you think are more important? Our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria, or our outermost parts of the world? And I would say, yes. And they would say, which one's more important? There's not anyone any more important. He tells us to do all. Occasionally, somebody will challenge me and say, you know, the Bible says we're supposed to reach our Jerusalem first. I say, that's not what it says. Go and read it. It says, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. So it's all important. But one of the reasons our evangelism and mission thrust is waning is due to the disobedience of churches in the most blessed nation of the world that you and I find ourselves in. And we're responsible for some of the evangelism that is waning around the world. We're in the midst of a famine of evangelism in our own country and in our own denomination. Let me share just a couple of facts with you. The last year that we have recorded statistics, which was year before last, in our denomination we have 47,000 churches. Out of those 47,000 churches, 37%, that's 17,000 churches did not baptize one person that year, 37%. An additional 49% on top of that 37 reported baptizing, that's 23,000 more churches that baptized less than 10 people. So 87% of 47,000 churches that you and I are a part of baptized less than 10 people year before last. The last recorded year we have, we baptized Two hundred and thirty thousand seven hundred and fifty-seven people. You thought, man. You think, man. That's a lot. Two hundred thirty thousand. I'm grateful for the two hundred thirty thousand. But do you know the last time the Southern Baptist Convention baptized that few of people was in 1946? And in 1946, we only had twenty-three thousand churches, less than half we do today. And so we've been in a 75 year decline. Now I could go on and on with statistics that would further discourage and depress you and I, but I think you get the picture. Many of us have been aware of the downward trend for a long time and many of us have made excuses by saying things like, our culture's changed. Our neighborhoods have changed. People have changed. They no longer wanna hear the gospel. And we've told ourselves that so many times, we've started to believe it. And the truth of the matter is, statistics show, people in our nation and around the world are more anxious to hear the life-transforming message that you and I have than the church is to tell them. They're more desirous to hear it than we are to tell them. Today, our local churches are devoting less time, less funding less emphasis on encouraging and equipping and sending people locally and globally to share the good news of the gospel, especially in our own communities. And one of the reasons is we've become, as churches, maybe not your church, but most churches I go into, we've become too inwardly focused. We're not outwardly focused. I saw a sign on one of the doors When you leave, you're entering your mission field. And that's the gospel truth. When we leave here, we're entering our mission field and a lot of churches have become more inwardly focused than we have outwardly focused. And here's the attitude of a lot of people in every other church I know about except McGregor. Here's the the attitude of a lot of people in our churches. How can the church meet my needs what can the church do for me and they they would even think but not say this who cares if those people outside the walls of our church spend eternity in hell I have needs myself and I expect the church to meet them and we have adopted that philosophy in many of our churches, and we're no longer outwardly focused. So I want to attempt real quick, in the time the 12 minutes I have left, I want to attempt to answer two very important questions, and this comes from research that Dr. Tom Rayner did a number of years ago when he was at Lifeway Christian Resources. been updated since then, but it's still true. Question number one is this. Why should evangelism and reaching people with the gospel be a top priority in our churches? You ready? Let's go through them quick. Number one, it ought to be a top priority in our church because Christ commanded it. We just had the scripture read to us. It's a mandate, and if you know the Lord, it's a mandate for you. And I praise the Lord for these missionaries that are with us this morning, that were with us in the early service, those that will be in the late service. I'm grateful that they've given their life to share in the gospel, but it's not just our responsibility to send them money to do the work. It's our responsibility. All of us have that mandate, and Christ commanded it. We act sometimes like... Matthew 28, 19, and 20 is optional, but it's not optional. It's a command. Number two, evangelism and reaching people for Christ ought to be a priority in our churches because Christ is the only way to salvation. I want to say that again. Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Salvation is exclusive. There is only one way to God, and that is through Jesus. Occasionally, you'll hear people say, yeah, we got a little bit different way of getting to heaven, but we're all gonna wind up there. That is not true. You can't base that on the Word of God, because he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Nobody can come to the Father except through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Number three, why should we be about sharing the gospel? Because Christ died for the whole world. John three sixteen. many of you know it by heart. God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ died for the whole world and they need us to go tell them. Number four, we ought to make it a priority because churches are not intentional about evangelism and as a result, they're typically weak in evangelism. We have to be intentional about going and giving and praying and sharing the gospel. It needs to be a discipline in our life. We need to be intentional and make it a part of our life. Number number six or number five is because churches tend to begin to look more inwardly then fail to move outwardly, and we've talked about that. Number six, because churches become content and complacent with transfer growth. Now, nothing wrong with transfer growth. People want to come join your church be a part. If I lived in this community, this is a church I'd want to come be a part of. Nothing wrong with that, as long as it does not take the place of sharing the gospel locally and globally. Many times in our churches, we're focused on just Swapping people to the next church instead of our priority getting the gospel to the world. Number seven, it ought to be a priority because evangelistic Christians grow stronger as better discipled Christians. So that's why evangelism sharing the gospel with the whole world ought to be a priority in our life. So I don't want to answer the second question. Here's the second question. Why? What is it that keeps most Christians who say they wanna be a fully devoted follower of Christ, and you believe it ought to be a priority in our churches, but many of our people are not doing. What is it that keeps most Christians from evangelizing? Here we go. Number one, it's because we've let spiritual lethargy creep into our homes, creep into our churches. There's There's a lack of energy, there's a lack of interest, And the problem is for many Christians that they are not growing spiritually and a lack of spiritual growth leads to a diminished desire to get the gospel to our friends, our family, our neighbor, our work associates and around the world. There's too much spiritual lethargy in the church today. Number two, most Christians, a lot of Christians won't share the gospel with their neighbors or be involved in taking the gospel around the world because there is a growing inclusivism. There's a growing belief among many Christians that somehow good people and good moral people will make it to heaven outside a true personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And you will not find that anywhere in the Bible. There is one way to get to heaven, and there's a growing uh, inclusivism that people think, if people are good enough, my neighbor's good enough, my family member's good enough, and he does good deeds for people, the Lord's gonna let him into heaven. But it will not happen, there's only one way. Number three, there is becoming a disbelief in hell. Now, that's always been a view held exclusively by unbelievers, But many people that name the name of Christ now say that hell is not a literal place. But I wanna tell you, we need to be proclaiming loudly and boldly what the Bible says. And the Bible teaches us there's a heaven to gain and there's a hell to shun. And at the end of this life, you've only got two options. You're going to heaven if your name's written in the book of life. And if it's not written in the book of life, you're going to a place, a literal place called hell, and you're gonna be separated from God throughout all eternity. But there's a fourth reason many people don't share the gospel. I call it busyness. It's perhaps one of Satan's most effective strategies in the church to get us to fail to do the most important things because we're busy doing good things. I see it happening in my church all the time. He'll get you so busy on doing things that that are really not priority and you don't have time or take time to share the good news of the gospel. Number five, there's a fear of rejection in our people. Only one out of four unchurched persons would be resistant to a faith conversation from you. Statistics tell us that. Research also shows that four out of 10 unbelievers actually greatly appreciate you sharing the gospel with them and being concerned about their eternity. Fear of rejection is unfounded. Number six, there's a desire on our part to be tolerant. We're afraid of being labeled intolerant, and so we won't share the gospel or we won't help others share the gospel because we're afraid of being labeled intolerant. And yet Jesus, when he was here on this earth, never worried about being intolerant, Uh, never, never worried about that. He drew a straight line in the sand and so should we. Number seven, there's a losing the habit of witnessing among our people, we'll go through training how we can witness, and we get out of the habit of it, and we've uh, lost the habit. And witnessing, just like prayer and Bible study, is a discipline. It's a habit we must learn, retain, and if lost, we need to regain it. Number eight, there's a lack of accountability in most believers' lives. We ought to be accountable to other people in our lives, especially in the area of sharing the gospel. We need to be asking each other, how long has it been since you shared the gospel somewhere? And then finally, people are resistant to see others come to Christ because we as church members have come to a point that we fail to invite people. We used to invite people to come to church with us, our friends, our neighbors, our work associates, our neighbors. But most of us, I include myself in that, most of us come to church alone. We ought to be inviting people to come to church. So in light of all that we've said today, at the North American Mission Board, instead of continuing to rack up statistics, we wanted to address this pandemic, and we came up with this plan called Who's Your One? And we're encouraging people in churches everywhere to pray and think of a person, either locally or globally, that you know personally, that you can begin to pray for and you can begin to focus on that one person, develop a relationship with them and hopefully see them to come to Christ. And so our president challenged us when we first rolled this out a year and a half ago and he brought all the staff together and said, we're gonna travel across America and ask people To think of one person that come to Christ, I want us to set the example. So I want every one of you, when you come in here next week, I want you to have a name that you can write down that you're going to start praying for and you're going to start sharing with. On the way home that day, I thought of my one. It was a guy by the name of Martin. Let me tell you about Martin. Martin and I were good friends in Jacksonville, Florida in middle school and high school. I would not seen Martin in about 35 years. We played football, high school football together. And somebody from Jacksonville called me in Atlanta and said, hey, uh, did you know that Martin moved to Atlanta? Can you go by and see him? And I said, yeah, where does he live? And they said, well, Atlanta. I said, well, that narrows it down. That could be 80 miles from my house. I need to know where he is. So they said, okay, we'll find out. So they found out, they called me back, told me where Martin lived. He lived less than one mile from the church that I was serving on staff at at the time. One mile from my church in Woodstock, Georgia. I called Martin, told Martin who I was. Man, I'd like to come by and see you. He said, great, man, I'd love for you too. A few days later, I went by his house. He opened the door. He looked just like he did years, uh, 35 years ago. We embraced, he invited me in. We went in and started talking about old times. He introduced his wife to me. After about 30 minutes, I said, hey, Martin and Alice, are y'all attending church anywhere? And he kind of dropped his head, and he said, well, no, we're, we're, we're not really church people. And I said, well, I go to the church a mile down the road there. He said, oh, oh, I know. He said, because there are about 50 people in our neighborhoods invited us up there, which encouraged me. And every time I tell them that I know somebody on staff there and talk about you, they tell me all about you and I usually tell them, I can tell you some bad stuff about him too if you wanna know. But anyway, I said, man, I'd love for you and Alice to come sometime." Well, we may do that. So I said, hey, I wanna take you to lunch one day. We'll catch up. A Couple of days later, I met Martin for lunch. So, talked about old times and I said, Martin, let me ask you something. Has there ever been a time in your life that you've repented of your sins, placed your faith in Jesus Christ asked him to come live inside of you and you prepared to spend eternity with him in heaven. He said, yeah, I have. He said, Jim, after we graduated that next year at Hope Baptist Church, right there on Reynolds Lane Road, I I walked out and told the pastor I wanted to be saved and I I got saved. So I said, well, Martin, you told me y'all weren't involved in church. He said, no, we've not been in church in about 25 years. So we went through some rough times. I said, well, man... The Lord wants you to be involved in church and wants to be involved. Well, I may come sometime. Well, about a month later, we went to dinner. I went to dinner with him and his wife. We had the same conversation. They responded the same way. And so I shared the gospel with him, and he said, yeah, that's what I did. Well, a couple of weeks later, I was in South Georgia doing a men's conference on Friday night and Saturday. I was headed back to Atlanta, and I got a call from the lady that had called me originally to tell me that Martin had moved to Atlanta. And she said, Jim, did you ever talk to Martin? Did you ever go see him? I said, yeah, visited his home. Took him out to eat a couple of times. She said, you share the gospel with him? I said, yeah, and he assured me that he had done that years before. He just hadn't been in church in 25 years. And she said, well, I just wanted you to know I got a call this morning. He committed suicide last night. His wife asked me to do the funeral. I went to Jacksonville and, and spoke in his funeral. The only reason I tell you that story is There's an urgency on my part and your part to get the gospel to the nations and to our neighbors. There's an urgency. You don't know what those people are going through. I pray that Martin really knew the Lord. I don't know that. I pray that he did and he's in heaven now. I don't know that. But there's an urgency. Our friends, our neighbors, our associates, our work associates, those that we know or we can help, give and go to those missionaries that are called around the world to get the gospel because it's urgent that we do so. Now here's my challenge for you this morning. Number one, I wanna ask you the same thing that I asked Martin that day. Is there ever been a time in your life that you've repented of your sins, placed your faith in Christ, asked him to come into heart, into your heart and live, and you're prepared to go spend eternity with him? Because if not, You have no greater decision in this life than to nail that down this morning and ask Jesus Christ. Pastor Russell and I and others will be down front, any of you would like to talk to us about that, that's the most important decision, that you know him. For those of us who know him, here's my challenge to you. I would challenge every one of us to make a new commitment to getting the gospel locally and globally by Going, and many of us can go. Get going more than we're going for those that's already been. Giving, and even giving more, so we can reach more. And pray. So I would like to ask you to make a commitment this morning that you will go in a greater way, you'll give in a greater way, and you will pray in a better way. Would you do that?